0: I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. i ask you to bow your heads, please, in a moment, and we're going to pray. Um, It's probably been busy in most of our lives. Uh, A lot of us are probably overwhelmed by how far we'll be behind tomorrow when we get to work. (laughs) But let's just take a few moments and just allow God's Spirit to just calm our hearts and calm our minds. And, And in spite of what's happened maybe the last two weeks or what all lies in front of you tomorrow, Let's allow God just to allow us to focus on His Spirit for the next 30 minutes or so as we look at a very important passage in His Word. Father, in the busyness of the season and the demands of 2010, allow us just for the next few moments to put those things away and to focus solely upon you, your Holy Spirit, and your Word. Please remove from our hearts and minds anything that would compete with you right now, any demands or feelings that would clutter our ability to hear you clearly. And Father, I pray that all of us would listen with a spirit of receptivity and acceptance, that we would come to you this morning expecting to hear from you, because, Father, we need to hear from you as life sends so many messages our directions, as the demands of life so easily distract us, would you speak to each one of us today personally the message that we need to hear, whether it's encouragement or loving confrontation, correction, whatever it may be, Father. Would you personalize this message to each heart that each one of us would hear the words from you that we would need to hear to respond to you in a way that would bring you honor and praise and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't, don't worry. It'll be on the screen, at least. I'm hoping that it will. Uh, and uh, Matthew chapter 9 is probably a... We're going to read a phrase to start with from the words of Christ that is probably a well-known. Many of you will recognize it when we read it. But as you turn there, let me just make this observation. It was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, on my spiritual journey when God really challenged me uh, to spend a lot of time in the Gospels. I do not know what happened in my spiritual journey. But for some reason, I had gotten away, I had moved away from reading the Gospels. And uh, I love the Old Testament. I teach it at Cal Baptist, and I love the Old Testament. And, uh, and for some reason, I had just moved away from those. And, and God just really challenged me and directed me back to the Gospels. And I was encouraged, I believe, by the Holy Spirit and by a friend of mine, whom the Holy Spirit used to take a slow, methodical look at the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, I remember the person saying to me, Daryl, I want you to go back to the Gospels, and every time Christ says something, I want you to stop and ask yourself two questions. What did he look like, and what tone was his language? What was his, uh, of his speech? And so I slowed down and did that. It took a much longer time than I thought. And I just revisited in a very slow and methodic way. I say revisited, revisit, may maybe visit for the first time in my life in a very slow and methodic way the person of Jesus Christ. I found that Jesus Christ was probably the ultimate nonconformist that ever walked upon this planet. That he came to the earth and really just did not conform to the expectations of him as the Messiah or what society expected a person to conform to. He spent time around the wrong people in the religious people's estimation. He touched those he had no business touching, making himself ceremonially unclean to the religious leaders. He showed respect for the outcast. showed disrespect, so to speak, for those in positions of high authority, religiously speaking. Did not come and try to transform society. In fact, he tried to transform lives. He saw hope in those no one else saw hope in. He did not play the political games of his day, found the religion of his day a complete waste of the investment of time did not build up a retirement account, an IRA, paid his taxes for crying out loud, and had no problem with it. He came to the world, and it appears the only thing he saw worth investing his life into was people. Our Lord was drawn to people. He gravitated to people. And it seemed like the more others did not see hope in him, the more he wanted to be around them. In fact, I was struck as I read The Life of Christ how approachable sinners found Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? They were called tax collectors and sinners, the, uh, the, the outcasts of society, and they just felt very comfortable inviting Christ to their house and inviting their friends to see Him. What an interesting person He is. As you understand that, you understand His words in Matthew chapter 9. Because in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says to the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out, and you may have heard that means thrust, and that's an accurate representation of that word, to thrust laborers into his harvest. And we read that and and, and we say, wow, what Christ is saying, we just need more people out in the harvest sharing the good message and, and the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's an absolute true statement. But to read that alone and to think that alone is to miss the heart of Christ and the passion of Christ behind that plea. Now, a couple of observations and we'll break it down. The first one is taken from Philippians 2, verse 5. Where Paul simply says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." That's one line in the Bible. That's a lifetime of application. Amen. <laughs> Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Now, specifically, Paul's talking about God laying aside His godly position or, or His position having come to earth and surrendering His rights so that we could be we could have a right relationship, or a way to God. But the overall truth is found throughout the New Testament and Scripture. Think like Christ. Let Christ's worldview, Christ's mindset, how Christ approached life, be adopted into your life as a believer. As I read that this week, it occurred to me that studying the mind of Christ is easier than having the mind of Christ. Would you agree with that? But it doesn't say to study Christ's mind. It's have the mind of Christ. Approach the world. Approach people. See people as Christ saw, approached, and dealt with them. I believe the reason for that is simple, and it's this. The way we think about something, how we think about something, affects how I view something. And how I view something affects how I treat it. Would you agree with that? If you went to dinner this afternoon, or you went to dinner this evening, and the waiter said, our special today is liver and onions. Anybody here be happy with that? Why? (laughs) It makes no sense to me. All right. But how you and I would react to that would be radically different. Because I view that as disgusting, personally. I'm glad you like it. You can have my share, all right? (laughs) Anybody here love tomatoes? A few more hands. Not me. I find those little creatures disgusting, to be honest with you, all right? How about a nice barbecued steak? Now we're talking... uh, that was the man sound right there. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody a sushi fan? Yes. All right. Got a bad reaction over there. Just lost one. <laughs> See, how I think about stuff affects how I view it, amen? And how I view it affects how I react to it. Christ knows that. God knows that. And He knows us. And Christ understands our Christ teaches us that. If I don't view people the way He wants me to view them, and I will not react to them the way He needs for them to be reacted to. And so when Christ says we need to thrust people out, there's more to it than that. Here's the context. Jesus went about all cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered. Like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I think about that scene, as Christ is surrounded by this vast multitude of people, the first thing I realize is that the average crowd you would gather in first century Rome is the same crowd you would gather in Southern California today. It is amazing culturally, politically, morally, and socially how similar first century Rome Is to Southern California today. As Christ is surrounded by this vast multitude of people, I speculate and I believe safely that in that crowd was every type of person that you could imagine. There would be a wide diversity of people, colors and cultures and backgrounds and upbringings and religious views and experiences. There would be people there who were driven there by various motives. Some would be coming to to hear this great teaching from the Messiah's lips. Some would come because of what they could get from him, healing or whatever it may be. Some people were just attracted by crowds, like being part of what's going on. There were those who were curious, those who were taking advantage of his goodness. Maybe those that were taking advantage of others, maybe uh, pickpockets and thieves, and maybe some prostitutes working the crowds. There would be in this diversity or this multitude of people a wide range of people. There would be probably every occupation known to mankind in the Roman Empire at that time. You would have businessmen, some moral and some immoral. You would have Roman soldiers protecting and watching over a crowd that size. You would have political leaders and religious leaders and Jews who were comfortable in the religion and those who were disgusted with their religion. There were those who served one God and there's who sow- who served multitudes of gods. There would be housewives and there would be uh, what we would call a factory, just a, a factory-type worker, just had a job they did every day and worked for someone else. There would be in that crowd probably every sin imaginable committed by someone. There would be liars in that crowd. There would be thieves in that crowd. There would be gossips in that crowd. There would be sexually immoral people in that crowd. There would be what we would call hypocrites in that crowd. It would be the same crowd that you and I would gather today We went to downtown Riverside and did something that attracted a crowd. It's interesting to me that as Christ looks upon that multitude, sees the diversity, sees all that they are and all that they're doing, that the Bible says He was moved with compassion. I will confess to you that I don't always find myself moved with compassion when I see the crowds. I think sometimes in the mall they get a little bit pushy. Anybody else? None of them know how to drive. Amen? Amen? <laughs> and I find it amazing that as Christ looks upon this vast people, he is moved with compassion. If there's a heart of this message, this is it. It strikes me that what he saw was not their sinfulness. What he saw was their lostness. It's easier to see people's sinfulness. Would you agree with that? It's harder to see their lostness. Interesting, as Christ looks upon them, he says, they are weary weary that's an interesting term he must think to himself man these are some weary people it occurs to me that weary is more than just being tired tired tends to be physical i think weary is emotional i think weariness is the absence of hope it's getting worn down it's getting worn out it's losing your desire to go on. Have you ever been weary? You can sleep and not be tired. But weariness, oh, that's just a different level. And Christ looks at these people and says, Man, these are some these are some worn out people. And these are some weary people. They are they're just spent. They're weary. He also notices to himself that they're scattered. Now, what does that mean? They're not scattered they're all in one place. So it's not location he's talking about. But they're scattered. And I I figure, what did he see in them that caused him to say, man, these are some scattered people. And I think what he saw was everything they were trying to do to find happiness in life. Some were trying... Material things, I'm sure. Some were trying physical relationships. Some were trying, I'm sure, popular. Some were pursuing education and some were pursuing friendships, whatever it may be. But I think as Christ saw them, he said, Man, these people, they're just, they're all trying something, but nothing's working for them. They're just scattered. They're not trying one thing. They're trying everything. And all that is achieved for them is weariness. And then Christ notes for us that they are vulnerable. He says, you know, really what they're like is they're like sheep who don't have a shepherd. Now, let's talk about that. Philip Keller in his in his book, The Shepherd's Psalms. And Philip Keller was a shepherd. And he writes about Psalms 23 from a shepherd's perspective. But in his book, the shepherd describes for us what sheep are like. Here is his definition of sheep. He says they are helpless, clumsy, stubborn, dirty, weak, dumb, honory, easily riled, no sense of direction, selfish, unstable, sometimes loud and obnoxious, little of any common sense and no natural defensibility on their own. When Christ called you and I sheep, it was not a ringing endorsement, all right <laughs> That's vulnerable. In fact, there's a picture of a lamb with no shepherd. It's called dinner. (laughs) They don't last long but they have no shepherd. All right? A lamb without a shepherd is a vulnerable lamb. They're not going to last long. And they're actually too, what's the appropriate word here, too dumb (laughs) to know it. Christ says this just vast crowd they're weary and trying everything they're scattered and they're vulnerable that's the mind of Christ that's the mind of Christ I find as a believer when I focus on the world's our people's sinfulness I tend to avoid them Because I'm taught to avoid sin as a believer. I find I tend to be judgmental of them. I tend to be degrading. I am somewhat arrogant. I pull away. But when I see someone's lostness, when I hear and sense their weariness, when I hear and sense what all they're trying, when I understand where that's going to get them, then the judgmentalism is replaced with concern. The desire to pull away because they're so sinful is replaced with the desire to reach out and rescue and help. And I find in my heart a concern. And while it's easier to see people's sinfulness, I tend to be more useful to Christ if I see their lostness. And I tend to respond more like Christ needs for me to respond to them. As I see their lostness. See the observation of Jesus. He says Daryl what they really need is a shepherd. He says Daryl what those around you need is a shepherd to give their life direction. To give their life meaning. To give their life purpose. To give their life Protection. Their true need, He says to me, is a shepherd. I can talk to people all day long about how they live and how they should act and how they shouldn't, but what that person desperately needs in their life, Christ says to me, is they need a shepherd. Christ says, I'm not cleaning the outside of the cup, I'm cleaning the inside of the cup. And you clean the inside, the outside tends to take care of itself. The true need in a drug addict's life The true need, the driving need, is not to stop using drugs. The true need is they need to find the shepherd, Jesus Christ. The true need in an immoral person's life, a gossip's life, a working person's life, a lazy person's life, a student's life, a retired person's life, is all driven from their need to know the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And as God asks me to be thrust into the world, he fully expects that I will see those around me as he sees them, which will then allow me to react to them as he would want them to be reacted to. By the way, by the way means it's on my notes. It just sounds like I came up with it just now. Um, You know what weary people need most? What weary people need most is a word that gives them hope and direction. You know what weary people don't need? is a lot of words. Amen. (laughs) You ever been weary and someone well, you've got to do these 42 things, you'll not be weary. Well, the list makes you more weary. Right? What weary people need is just something from us that gives them hope Direction. Look, look at these words from Isaiah. I love this passage. Isaiah says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who was weary. Isn't that a great verse? Isaiah says, As I come across weary people, God, I don't want a lot of words to share with them. I just want the right words. In fact, He says, Word to share with them. You ever had someone do that in your life? You ever found yourself weary and overwhelmed, and things were just caving in and God just brought someone into your life, and they didn't have all the fancy words, but, man, they had the right word that you needed to hear. Years ago, when I was 18, that would be 30 years ago. No, that would be 31 years ago. That hurt. (laughs) I need to recover from that. Give me just a second, all right? I I surrendered to the ministry when I was 17. I found at 18, I was not measuring up to anybody's expectation. Oddly enough, when I was a senior in high school, I had my own apartment. I don't know how that worked out. It was not a good thing, but I had it. And there was just a stretch when God was... The um, best way I can say is God was just messing with me. You ever had God just mess with you? <laughs> He's just messing with me. And, 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 I, and I knew you wanted something, but I couldn't figure out what it was that he didn't appear to be telling. And it was just an agonizing few days. And I was reading scripture and praying and confessing sins I committed, confessing sins I hadn't committed. It was just like, God, what do you want? What's going on here? And finally, early one morning, I called my pastor, Art Tabor. And this is about 1.30 in the morning. And the fact that I felt comfortable calling him tells you a lot about him. I said, Brother Tabor, this is Daryl. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> not sure what that meant. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I said, man, God is just troubling me. And I just can't figure it out. He goes, yeah, God does that sometimes and hung up the phone. Well, that sucks. <laughs> we pay pastors for answers, amen? We tell them the problem and give them an answers. how it works. Kind of disappointing. That wasn't real theological. It wasn't very practical. That's it? God does this sometimes? That's what we pay you for? <laughs> I wasn't real thrilled with his answer. But about 15 minutes later at 1.45, open the door, he walks in gives me a big old hug. Now, he was a Marine drill sergeant. When he hugged you, it hurt. You ever feel like those bone-crunching hugs? (laughs) He goes, well, one thing we know, young man. We know God's called you to the ministry. And he turned, and he left. And that was exactly what I needed to hear. I didn't need a three-point message. I didn't need a guilt trip. I didn't even have a job at church. That was exactly what I needed to hear. Isaiah said, you know, God, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. Isaiah says, as I engage weary people, God, I don't want the abundance of words. God, as I engage weary people, what I want is the exact words. The precise words. I want the word that they need to hear at that moment in their life to give them hope and to give them direction. Let's talk about 2010. I believe, as I've been asked by your pastor to do a New Year's message to challenge us for the next year, that God doesn't want us to have 2020 vision this year, that God wants to have 2010 vision. And 2010, I believe God would have us see people as Jesus sees them. The best I can figure right now, there's no shortage of weary people. Amen. The economy made sure of that. The unemployment rate has made sure of that. The uncertainty of wars, the uncertainty of life, and natural disasters has made sure that right now in our planet, right now in your neighborhood, right now in your city, right now where you work, right now there is no shortage of weary people. They're everywhere. I believe what Christ said the short supply is of those that will engage them the way he needs for them to be engaged. On your screen it says a safe believer. Someone who will not tell them what they think that person needs to hear, but will tell them what Christ wants that person to hear at that moment in their life. Someone will not see them through their own eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I think God says to us, I've got plenty of weary people to go around. But I need safe believers to send them to. I need safe believers to connect them with. I need to bring into their lives people that will see them as I see them, and then treat them as I want them to be treated. You and I are living in a remarkable time right now. <clears throat> in the last two years, God has shaken our country at its core. I mean, gosh, what anybody's saying, it's still shaking. And we have this amazing opportunity in 2010 to engage a weary and scattered and vulnerable people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more, under, one more observation, then we're going to, us in, I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Let's break down a misnomer of what Christ prayed about. When Christ says, pray that God will send forth labor and labor, we tend to think that's something we need for God to do. I've got news for you. He's done that. Understand that each one of us has already been thrust into the harvest. Do you understand that? It could be where you live. It could be where you go to school. It could be work tomorrow, where you work, where you shop, where you buy your gas. For some of us, it was the families we were born into. That's our harvest. When my wife and I got married 29 years ago, I don 't know if anybody in our families was saved, if they were, nobody was practicing it. And we found out our families were our harvest field, and some of your lives, you understand that. You don't need to ask God to thrust you into the harvest. He 's done that. That's what I was thinking this morning, if you 're unemployed don 't ask God for a job. Ask God for a new harvest field. Amen, might work better that way. Because <laughs> that's what it's all you don't live where you live by mistake. We either believe in God's sovereignty or we don't. You don't work by where you work by mistake from God. You don't have the professors you have or the teachers you have, the classmates you have, just randomly from God's eyes. That's your harvest. That's where God has thrust you, just like He's done that in my life. And so we get to go to work tomorrow. We get to go to school tomorrow. We get to shop tomorrow and see people differently. We get to see them as weary and scattered. You mean even that mean old boss? Especially that mean old boss. Someone's got to see him differently. Someone's got to see her differently. That clerk behind the counter who always messes up my order? Yeah, that one. You and I have been privileged by God to be thrust into his kingdom work. And God says, but listen, listen, listen. It's just not enough that you go out there and do stuff. I need desperately for you to see them as I see them so that you will react to them as I need for them to be reacted to. Would you bow your heads? Here's the prayer that I'm going to ask you to pray. God, in 2010, would you help me see people differently? Please help me not focus on their sinfulness, though it's so easy to see. Help me not to see them through my eyes. Father, help me to see everybody in my harvest field. Every person you brought into my life. And right now, I want you right now to think about people in your neighborhood. I want you to think of faces right now in your neighborhood. And that one neighbor nobody else likes. (laughs) I want you to think of people at your workplace. I want you to see their faces right now, people you go to school with. Where you buy your coffee in the morning and your gas in the afternoon and your groceries in the meantime. Father, please help me to see them as you do. Father, we need that. Help us to engage this weary and lost and scattered world in the way that would most accurately represent you. Father, help us not get caught up in the abundance of words as we engage people. Help us listen patiently to you and give us the right words to give them hope, to give them direction, to direct them to you, the only true and good shepherd. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor.